is like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, is Corey Starr, a.k.a. Corsese, here for Martin Scorsese Month. How you doing, Corey? So glad the week is over, and I have... I don't go back to work until Thursday next week, so I'm pretty oh, good. How are you? Good for you. I am okay. I am... Uh, technically, I've been at work, but I'm not still allowed back at work for five more days. Um, and then I will finally be cleared... Assuming I do not start showing symptoms suddenly, because that is why I'm still on leave, is because there's a 14-day incubation period for COVID, and I have now been, uh, what, five days since Kathy was cleared, um, and so now I'm still in that like second half, so I could still come down with something, hopefully not, um, but you know, if that happens, and I don't know how long I'll be out of work, I guess it'll be 14 more days from whatever day I end up getting sick or whatever, so... Um, or at least 10, but yeah, so I'm waiting, but I'm okay. Uh, as I mentioned, listeners, this is Martin Scorsese month. We are talking tonight, uh, the age of innocence from 1993. Um, we're going to be talking Scorsese for two more episodes after this, uh, which we've mentioned in the last episode, but we'll go ahead and mention here, we're going to be covering mean streets and then, um, Cape fear, his remake of that film from 1991. Uh, but tonight, Age of Innocence. But first, we're going to check in with each other and then see what else we've been watching since the last time we recorded. Uh, you just kind of told me how you're doing. So I won't directly ask that, but has anything interesting happened this week worth like something, maybe a positive thing we can discuss? Well, um, it's didn't happen this week, but I found out about it this week. And I'll be going in October with a couple of friends. Um, but one of my favorite things about living in Boise is um that one of my favorite bands lives here um and i've loved them since like way before i lived here but i i'm talking about bell to spill and i've gotten to see them so many times living here um but they're doing like a socially distanced um show outdoors at a local restaurant and i'm gonna go um to that so i'm pretty excited it's in october um and we get to eat like a three course, like kind of gourmet meal. It's like included with the ticket. Oh, so, cool. yeah, I I was telling Bill the other day, I honestly can't remember the last time I saw live music and. I just miss it a lot. <laughs> well, I, I'm feeling that way about the movie theater situation, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm feeling more and more drawn. Uh, I'm still not able to go, but in five days. I will be cleared and I will not feel guilty about going. I still will be paranoid about going. Um, but there's they, they're releasing movies suddenly and I really want to go see them. And so I'm feeling a little like like even more locked in because of that. Because like I know other people are doing the thing that I love to do and I don't feel comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. And in Florida, especially people are just doing whatever. Like we don't, you know, so many Floridians don't seem to be uh, taking this seriously at all. Um, and of course there are many who are. And I feel like I fall... I fall when I'm thinking I'm clearly of trying to do everything right. But then I'm like peer pressured into like, well, other people are already going out and they are making me go back to a a world where there's going to be a bunch of people around me all the time. 
anyways. Like that's literally going to be my job is I'm going to be in a room with like roughly 40 people a day, like throughout the day, you know, like not all at once, but like by the end of the day, I will have been in contact, not physical, but nonetheless in a room with them for at least an hour and a half. So a sustained distant. Yes. But still like, you know, that's assuming everyone's mask comes down. And then I started thinking today, like I drink a lot of coffee yes. and I was like, how I'm not gonna be able to like comfortably drink at all during the day. Cause I'll have to take my mask off to drink, but I, I shouldn't because I will be with students and they might also take their mask off to drink, you know, like, and, or like to put a piece of gum in their mouth or because, you know, people just take it off because they do. I don't know. I can't, the number of times I've watched someone take their mask off when they shouldn't is, is preposterous. Like I went to racetrack yesterday. That is a gas station to get a drink and uh the person had a mask on but not on like it was just dangling from their ear i'm like but why but yeah but why like you you have it in your and you're talking like i am now paying you should want to wear it for your own benefit because you don't know like i'm wearing a mask but you know like i I don't know um i didn't mean to get into the whole mask conversation again but it it is is our lives now I mean, yeah, we're accessorizing is. them with our outfits. You know what I mean? That's not <laughs> untrue. I have some very cool masks. Um, I just got these cool Batman masks from DC. And uh, I, I have like some plain ones, but I also have these. I've been getting a lot from the Roosevelt's company. Oh, yeah. Um, those are really cool. I'd love to get more, but they are being very like letting them out loosely. But they're not charging for them. They're only charging you shipping. So it's like mm. you can't really blame them uh, for not just dumping them out. Like I would pay for them, you know. Um, if they would, but I, I, you know, I appreciate that they're not because so many companies do feel a little shady. That's like, wait a minute, why are you selling so many masks all of a sudden? But, um, I, I kind of lost my train of thought. Oh, I want to go to movie theaters. So you're going to get to go to a concert. So that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a solo show. It's Doug Marsh. I don't know if he's going to have like a band or anything, but I don't care. That is cool. For yeah. Sure. Only sell so many tickets, and you know it's you already, outdoors. Obviously, you, you already got your ticket. I I hope uh, we're gonna buy them tomorrow. He's doing three shows, um, so hopefully. If, oh, I hope nothing goes wrong then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> well, my my good news, I guess, will be um, I bought a movie on DVD that I had not really heard of, but, um, you know, I listened to the blank check podcast. It's one of my favorite podcasts. And, uh, they just started their Robert Zemeckis, um, filmography. That's what they do. Like each episode for the, they're, they're doing his whole filmography, which is really massive. So it's going to be a long series. Um, but, uh, the, I didn't know his first film, uh, it's called, I want to hold your hand. And it is, um, like, it kind of reminds me of other movies that I've seen, like by the description, but it's a group of people are trying to get to see the Beatles their first time in America, like the Beatles first time in America. And uh, the Beatles music is in the movie, but the Beatles aren't in the movie. Um, and again, is this this first film? Right. Um, and uh, it sounds it's so up my alley, like listening. I listened to the episode having not seen the movie and. Um, I don't always do that, but for some movies that one, I don't think I'm going to get to see, or I like, I'm like, well, it's hard to get because it is on the criterion. And I was going to, I kind of want the criterion, but it was 30 bucks. And I was like, I don't really need to spend $30 right now. And they they had like eight copies of the DVD on Amazon for 10 bucks. And I was like, 
all right, I'll just get a DVD for now because I can I can justify ten dollars harder to justify thirty dollars. Um, granted, the, the quality and the special features are probably there, but you know we don't always really jump in on those. Like we buy them because of those things, but then like they just sit there. So I was like, all right, I, w- I really want to watch this one because it, it hit. It, it just sounds like it's the right vibe that I need. You know, it's like sounds upbeat, funny, um, Beatles music, which I'm a big fan of. So uh, I'm looking forward to kind of trying to find time to watch that this weekend. Uh, it's it's looking like that may not happen, but um, it did. It came in yesterday, so I was like, yeah, yeah all right, cool. But, I don't trust people who don't like the Beatles. Just putting that out there. <laughs> I have it, met a few. <laughs> There are some, and it, it is kind of baffling because it's like, but what do you do? You just not like like music, joy? like at all? It's, it's so happy. Like, the, the, like how do you, you not like it? Have you heard "Old Darling"? Like, like <laughs> you can well, name like one of like a million songs. You know, um, that was a funny thing. I was telling. I have a, a group of friends. Um, we have a, a group chat, and uh, they're mostly teachers, not all. Um, and if they're it's it's kind of odd because I've been teaching long enough now where like people I taught are now teaching, and um, so they're they're coworkers. But I taught one of them. Um, I taught one of the coworkers, and then one of the people in the group chat I also taught. And then I guess technically two of them are coworkers, but um, one is like a direct, also a teacher. One is he he does like tutoring and stuff. So, but works at the school. And then uh, one I play magic with, but is also the brother of the the one that I taught. So it's a, it's a very like it's we have a weird kind of connection of of all these things and i brought up uh i, I want to hold your hand to them and we like th- there was this weird connection where like uh one of it's i wish i was using names but i don't want to like name drop um student a former student a um was like had just been singing the song out of nowhere and then uh former student b it worked out because those are actually their initials. And, um, uh, I can't remember what her connection was, but she had also just been talking about "I want to hold your hand" because um, she's a she's an orchestra teacher, so uh, music is her her whole thing. And uh, it was just like a funny, weird coincidence. And I think that it just speaks volumes about the Beatles. You know, they're like so ingrained in culture. Um, something that the movie yesterday doesn't quite play enough on is how ingrained they really are. It's like our essence you know like people know Beatles songs. like the crazy thing that i i didn't mean to interrupt you i'm no, sorry no. the crazy thing about the beatles is they were only together for like 10 years mm-hmm. and it, that's so insane to me when when people point out how many songs they wrote in that yeah. freaking span of time and not just like decent like iconic songs that have lived on for over 50 years now right like it's insane um yeah it's crazy the, how, how prolific the beatles really were and I know that it's it's not very common that you see like I mean it was all varying degrees of success, but they all went on to have successful careers afterwards, and I think that yeah. that also says something about each of them being pretty, you know, important to the band. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm definitely a fan. My uncles got me into them when I was like in I don't know ten years old, maybe eleven years old, and I've I I don't always like actively listen to them, but ever, ever, I've never been like. Oh, Beatles, turn that off. Yeah, right. All right. Um, All right. So that's been our good stuff. Uh, Well, we're going to move into what we've been watching. Um, You want to go first or second this week, Corey? Uh, I'll let you go first. I went first last week. All right. So I started, um, I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, the cartoon, not the horrible M. Night Shyamalan movie. Uh, Nope. I know of it. I think you and Bill would love it. So you should maybe make that a priority. It's on Netflix. 
I know Bill would love it, to be honest. Like, I feel very confident that Bill would love that show. Um, okay. But I, I'm a big fan of that show. But there is a uh, sequel series called The Legend of Korra that continues to build the world um, that I never got to. And it is on Netflix now as well. And I've, I've finished season one. I've been, like, putting it on while I'm working and stuff. And, and they actually are substantially shorter seasons than uh, than Last Airbender. I think Last Airbender's average is, like, 23 episodes a season. Um, or something along those lines where uh, Cora is only 12. Um, but I like it quite a bit, especially as a world building. I think there's some flaws with the writing, but it's been a lot of fun. The crazy thing is the parallels to what's happening in our world right now. And the show's been out for years. So it's like, Cora saw it coming and we, we didn't read the signs um, or we didn't watch it. But uh, then um, I haven't watched many movies, uh, but I watched a few uh, this, actually, I guess I watched four movies this weekend, and then not, I have not watched anything other than our movie for tonight since then. Um, but I watched a lot of Cary Grant stuff. Um, I watched She Done Him Wrong from 1933. Um, that's really good. Uh, Bringing Up Baby, which is him and Catherine Hepburn, um, which I love them in the Philadelphia story, so I was excited to see this movie, which predates Philadelphia story by two years. And then I was really surprised to find out what Baby is referring to in the title. Uh, I was like, oh. I would never have guessed that's what what Baby was referring to. Um, I, It's really funny. Hepburn and Grant both are playing very different characters and they play in Philadelphia Story, so that was great for me to kind of see the the, the breadth of, of performance they can give. Um, really great. And then the other Cary Grant movie, and this is not in order here because there's one more movie I watched before this, but um, I finally cracked open my Criterion Blu-ray, literally. I still have the plastic on it, uh, for Notorious. Mm. Oh man, Corey. Oh man. Um, I, I was like the first 20 or 30 minutes, I was like, man, this one's not clicking. And I was worried it was going to be like to catch a thief and not just, it won't land for me like some of the other Hitchcock stuff. But then by the end of the movie, I was so hooked and loved this movie so much. Uh, Cary Grant is phenomenal. Ingrid Bergman is phenomenal. It is, whew, what a movie. Um, Hitchcock is masterful as he often is. Uh, but yeah, I was very glad. Actually, for once, I watched one of the special features on the uh, Blu-ray, too, of a guy explaining how Notorious is kind of like the epitome of the Hitchcock trademarks. Um, that Like, all of Hitchcock's known-for kind of stylistic flourishes are on display in Notorious. And it's a really cool breakdown of the that for film nerds who really like that kind of thing. But I, I enjoyed that one special feature, which there's more on the Blu-ray. So I'm like, ooh, I can't wait to actually have time to explore this a little more. Uh, one of my goals, I think, for the upcoming year is going to be to try to watch director's commentaries of movies that I love um, by directors that I love. Cause I feel like I, it's so my wheelhouse and I've never really tried to do it. And it's not because I don't think I would enjoy it, but it's um, I usually either would rather watch a new movie I haven't seen because of time. Like I don't have time to like watch, or if I'm going to watch a movie I love, I don't know if I want to hear people talking over it, mm-hmm. but I do listen to, um, some podcasts that they you don't get to hear the movie but you hear them talking about the movie and i i just listened to that like well like a podcast i because especially there are movies that i generally know really well so i don't have to sit and watch the movie to know what they're talking about like i've seen that movie enough where i i remember that scene just from them discussing it kind of thing and i've enjoyed that because again i like all of that behind the scenes talk and i like all the the commentary if if the people giving the commentary have cool things to say i enjoy it obviously commentary is going to be only as good as the person giving it but um it's something i want to try to do especially with directors that i really admire i'd like to hear their thoughts 
on their film and like why they did what they did and that kind of thing. And I've never really dove into that. So considering I have all these Blu-rays that have those special features, I feel like it might be time to start um, diving into some of that stuff. But uh, here's a movie I'm curious if you've ever seen, Corey. Um, Real Genius with starring Val Kilmer uh, from 1985. So I was kind of unaware of this movie. Um, but my friend who got me to watch Tombstone uh, two weeks ago uh, had mentioned this movie to me and brought up that uh, the TV show Psych that I just finished yeah. was uh, the character of Sean, who's the main character, was a hybrid of Ferris Bueller and uh, Val Kilmer's character from Real Genius. And boy, I'm like five minutes, ten minutes into this movie when you finally meet Val Kilmer's character. And immediately, like, I see the way his body language and the way he's moving is straight up what uh, um, James Roday is doing on the show Psych. Like, he has definitely studied this this movie to, to be this character. And I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. And it's it's a funny movie. It's It has a few of those 80s scenes that don't quite hold up because, you know, we, we've matured a lot of ways as a culture. At least some of oh. us have. Um, you know, like some of the, the – uh, like – sexuality like women are definitely overly sexualized in the film not to the point of nudity but just like there's like a it's a college type movie so that, well that's the that's kind of why it's tame it's it's a it has like a college movie vibe but they're high school kids because they're like super smart and they're on like a base for like the gov like it's not a government but there's a government kind of like conspiracy but they're like they're the smartest kids around and they're like being used to make things that they don't realize what they're making kind of thing. And, uh, but there's a college nearby and they get like college girls to come over. So there's like a party that very much feels like a frat party. Um, but with like high school kids, so they don't go outside of like, they're wearing bikinis, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's that kind of eighties, like, Hey, yeah. Right. Um, but it really, really fun movie. Um, you know, and Val Kilmer though, that's Val Kilmer is amazing in it. And, it's crazy to think it's only a year before Top Gun because he's so different in Top Gun. Like he's so much more, he seems like a grown up in Top Gun. He seems like a high school kid in real genius. He's playing a senior. So he's probably, you know, uh, he has to be basically the age he is in Top Gun, but just like the performance is so different. It's crazy that he's Iceman a year later. Um, but I really, it's, uh, that in Tombstone has really made me reevaluate, um, how great Val Kilmer is. Like I've never, doubted him per se but he you know he had, he had a long kind of gap in his career where he didn't do much but seeing uh some of these older movies of his that i've not seen and just like man val kilmer boy dude can act yeah what i haven't about, really oh, seen his earlier stuff i mean you've seen top gun right um i think i might have seen it when i was a kid <gasps> oh my god Corey, <laughs> i do that and the thing is i had not seen it till a couple of years ago <laughs> oh sometimes i ask you if you've seen stuff and you say no and i'm like okay <laughs> kathy actually got me to watch it i think during the first year of burke reviews if i'm not mistaken that oh. was one of the um she was like there's a few movies that she really loves that i'd never seen and that was one she's like you're watching talking and i'm like okay fine <laughs> I'm like, oh no it's really and i've seen it now i've seen it on the big screen too because they did a retro oh, nice. screening um yeah it's it's man it's such a good movie and I'm, i would you know i'm really looking forward to the sequel that might still come out this year or might come out next year i haven't heard the last decision but um you know both uh i think val's supposed to be in it tom cruise is definitely in it. it's his movie but i think val's supposed to have at least a cameo in it um so i'm i'm interested in that but uh what have you been watching Corey? okay um i've been watching a lot of shutter um 
a movie they just put on there, uh, Cod Fade to Black, which is kind of interesting because we talk about movies. Um, it the main character, um, he is a movie fanatic. Like he works for a movie company somehow, but um, he it's not a spoiler. He starts committing murders, mimicking murders in movies. Oh. So that just went on Shutter. Um, I watched One Dark Night, which is about um, some snobby high school girls and a girl who wants to join their club. <laughs> and she has to spend the night in a mausoleum. <laughs> and Ooh. yeah, it's spooky season. I mean, always. But I mean, September 1st, it becomes official. I watched Hell Night, which... I hadn't even, I I don't even know if I'd heard of it, but it has Linda Blair in it. Oh. Um, and then I rewatched Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Woo! Made Bill watch it with me. I mean, not make, he loves that movie. Oh, okay. Uh, um, and then I just love when I rope him into watching movies, though. Um, <laughs> and then I watched for the first time ever Reanimator. Ah, I still have not seen that. It's one of Mike's uh, who top five movies that listeners would remember Mike. It's been a while since he's been on a pod with us, but um, that's one of his faves. He loves uh, Reanimator. What'd you think? Um, I liked it. I'm going to check out, um, I think it's Bride of the Reanimator. Both of those are also on Shudder. If you like horror movies, I would suggest getting, you know, listeners getting a subscription to that because... They, I think they have like at least 350 movies on there right now. They have like shows, documentaries. They're doing another season of Cursed Films, which I freaking loved the first season, which I feel bad saying that because it is about cursed films and bad things that happen to people. But it's very interesting, very intriguing. Yeah. And then um, they're doing another season of Creep Show, which isn't as good as the movies, but it's pretty good. Um, and they just released a second season of another show I love that's uh, Nosferatu, which has Zachary Quinto as a weird vampire Santa villain. He's such a good villain. Um, yeah, he's a good Spock, too. I like yeah, he Spock. is. I, I love him as Spock. I miss those movies. I rewatched them not too long ago, but just like having those to look forward to because I really liked them. I would. I was hoping they were going to do a fourth because I liked. I I know a lot of people didn't like the third one, but I I enjoyed the third one and I liked all of them. When they used the music to like battle, I just thought it was sweet. Yeah. Um, Except I, Anton. Yeah, yeah. I know that. I don't know if that because they were planning on a fourth. Because I remember when Anton passed, they were like, you know, what do we do with Chekhov? So I don't know if they're just not going to go through with the fourth, or if they are going to maybe eventually do it. But um, but who knows now with the production schedules keep getting pushed back and pushed back. Um, all right. Well, we are going to get into a review of Age of Innocence, but first we have a word from our sponsor. So the Age of Innocence came out in 1993, uh, has a 90 meta score, a 7.2 IMDb user score. Uh, the plot synopsis on IMDb reads a tale of 19th century New York high society in which a young lawyer falls in love with a woman separated from her husband while he is engaged to the woman's cousin. My goodness. Um, the plot thickens, folks. Stars uh, It's directed by Martin Scorsese, obviously, because that's who we're covering this month. Uh, screenplay by Jay Cox. <laughs> and we have a, a cast. I mean, this cast is insane. Daniel Day-Lewis as uh, Newland Archer. 
Michelle Pfeiffer as Ellen Olenska, which while I was watching this, I realized it was only a couple years off of her being Catwoman. So like leaps and bounds differently performed. Uh, Winona Ryder, Mae Welland, um, I guess is how you say that. Um, there's some other people who are somewhat famous um, that pop up, but then Richard E. Grant's way down on the, the list, uh, who I was disappointed. He's in it, but he's not in it. Like he's not, that's, he's down on the list for a reason. Um, I guess that's, it really uh there's a lot of other actors i just don't know them by like super big names but also the the order of the credits seem off like maybe it's by appearance after the big three because i'm not like i'm like there's at least one person who i should know uh and i'm not seeing them so nonetheless uh, a lot of people in this movie because there are several like party scenes jonathan price is one who i know well and he's not he's way down on the list he's not in it very long but um yeah so it's this movie had me concerned when Corey picked it because <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't, it's not a period piece that I expected. Cause like the costumes that are on the pictures feel like Victorian, but it's obviously it's set in New York and it's set in, it's like 19, it's uh 19 crap. I looked up too many movies. I think it's 1987. No, 1887. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, so real quick before we get too far into this, the one thing that really made me uh, in like that made me enjoy this movie, aside from I, it's a Scorsese film, so there's still like some really cool like cinematic stuff that Scorsese does that I can't help but like, oh wow, he's so great! What a what an amazing filmmaker this guy is. Who knew, right? Sarcasm, listener, in case that wasn't clear. But I am a Daniel Day Lewis fan. I've not seen all of his films. Um, and I actually would say I, I'm just now starting to explore his older films. I've seen a lot more of his more recent stuff. Like I saw Lincoln and I saw Phantom Thread and I saw um, uh, There Will Be Blood. I feel like there's one in between there that I'm not thinking of. I've seen Gangs of New York. Like I've seen everything like post 2000 of Daniel Day-Lewis and I had not seen mo much of his 90s stuff. Um, during Because Blank Check covered Michael Mann movies, I watched um, Last of the Mohicans which is, you know, problematic because Daniel Day-Lewis is playing the Native American character. Although, to be fair, that character is um, mixed, and that's part of, like, the whole conflict of the film, if I remember correctly. But um, I had not seen this. And I, I did find a, I thought, an interesting comparison between his character here and his character from The Phantom Thread. Um, oh. That... Like almost feel like like the guy in the Phantom Thread could have if if this movie didn't age him up as it goes, um, that it could have been like jaded version of this character in Phantom Thread. Like freaking they're love different. <laughs> Me too. Um, but so uh, Phantom Threads the nineteen fifty time. That's what was throwing me off. Is why I brought that up just now because like I was why I knew it was eighteen eighty seven, but in my head I was thinking of the Phantom Thread was nineteen fifties in england too like it's it's they're nothing alike at all it makes zero sense but there is a i think as far as daniel day lewis playing this character they are polar opposites in some ways with how they interact with their relationships and that's what made me think about that um because i feel like he's much more dominating in phantom thread where here he's almost like pleading at moments like like desperate for the love where in phantom thread there's times where he seems like he's kind of repulsed by the amount of love he's getting you know what i'm saying like where he like needs his isolation and stuff and here he's like please come with me please come with me and it, it's not a criticism i just think it's an interesting juxtaposition of the age of when daniel Lee lewis is playing these characters and the flip of that persona but um 
that's again partly because I wasn't really totally sold on this film. Like I, I didn't, I didn't care about the romance enough. Like I felt something. It's not like I didn't feel anything for the characters. I just, I just wasn't that invested. Where I'm like, yeah, but you guys could fix this all if you would just, you know, do this one thing. And I get why you're not doing the one thing. And I'm avoiding spoilers, but um. At the same time, it's like, but look at all the stuff you are causing because you aren't doing the one. Like, if you just did the one thing, it would be fine. Like, you'd have some backlash, but you're already having backlash. You're still having the backlash, like, despite not doing the thing. So, like, what the hell does it matter, you know? Um, that was my kind of, like, frustration. And I just uh, – I like romance. That's the, I, rom-coms are my bread and butter. Right? That's, like, my go-to comfort genre. But romances have to hit right or I'm just not invested in it. I wasn't 100% invested. Again, I don't think it's anything the film did. I think it was it partly my like my brain this week. I, I feel super busy. I feel like I have no free time. And like cramming a movie in was a luxury of sorts. And so um, it, I was really wanting to just be like totally immersed in this. And I, I wasn't. Um, again, I, I, I think it's well crafted. The costuming is amazing. I don't. That doesn't make me love a movie, though. Like, not this costuming. Like, yeah. Okay. It looks amazing. And the, it's the period. It feels authentic. And uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is awesome. I kind of think Winona Ryder was miscast. Like, I mean, just, she just is always Winona Ryder. Yeah. Yes. She does not feel like she fits in the period, right? Like, she kind of like... Well, I feel like she just... She talks the same no matter what. Yes. I still love her. <laughs> I was but glad she was in it. <laughs> I I feel like she she does feel like she's like from another time almost though, and there's a a part of that works because her character is naive. I think until later, yeah. um, well, and so I think later we learn that she was not as naive as we thought, which is kind of spoilerish. So maybe don't we don't get into that discussion just yet. But let, let's. I I didn't dislike the movie. I think it's I think it's fine. Um, I, it might be if I watched it on another day, I might like it a lot more. Because again, it's it's well. There's no all of my criticisms are internal. They're all like my preferences. It didn't click with me. I don't think the movie did anything wrong with that. I think it's just I don't think this is for me at all. And I I, I don't want it to be like that because I I do like romances. I feel confident that I am I am capable of enjoying a romance. But that and that doesn't well, we have just, like we watch them all the time. I don't. Yeah, I know, but I know. I feel like there's this the, the generalization that a guy is like oh it's too girly because they love each other. Like no, I'm all about love. I just this is like whatever, okay. And again, I don't like fabricated drama, and that's what a lot of it felt like. Is like you're you're making your own problems. Like you could easily solve this. Like it shouldn't feel like you're making it worse by doing the things you're doing. And that's what it felt like to me. Again. It's easy on the outside of the problem looking in and going, yeah, here's the fix, um, you know, but that was what was like keeping me at a distance. What about you? What did you think? So I um, wasn't thinking when I chose this movie that I I can't read books from like this time period because they're so hard for me to understand i feel like that makes me sound a little dumb but i did have a problem with some of the verbiage and dialogue like in this movie it was hard for me to 
I was like, what? I had to pause and rewind, you know, a couple times. So I feel like that's something for people to be aware of. And then, um, I mean, I agree with you that a lot of it was, you know, them not doing what they want to do. Um, it is a beautiful film. I feel like too, I should watch it and it would need to be rewatched. Maybe. Um, I liked it. I didn't love it. I think, um, to, to kind of piggyback on your, uh, the dialogue or the verbiage being confusing. I didn't feel that with this specific movie, but I also like questioning if maybe I just zoned it out. It was like, yeah, whatever. If people are talking, whatever, you know, like, <laughs> I don't understand your highfalutin <laughs> conversation topics in the first place. So it's fine. Um, like, you know, like, and that's okay. Truth be told the Uh-oh. opera scene that opens in the movie instantly. I'm like, I'm not going to like this. Cause I don't like opera. I don't get why opera is popular. Like I understand that it's been around a long time, but a lot of things have been around a long time and we don't do Same all of them because they, yeah, right. It's, we want to associate like something lasting a long time as being good, but that is not always the case. Sometimes it's our unwillingness to let things die. And I don't know that opera fits in any modern day sensibility. Obviously I'm wrong. There's a large audience who love it. I am like, I had to, I had to watch a biopic about an opera singer a couple, like a year ago. And I was so miserable because so much of it was the opera. And I'm like, this is so just excruciating i don't like the way it's sung like i don't and i get it's in another language that's not what bothers me apparently i just learned recently that like at operas though there's like there's captions on the stage so you can like in trans like uh i guess subtitles on the stage so like if you don't speak the language you can actually read the opera and no clue that was the thing but i was like oh no they're at the opera that means this is gonna i'm just not gonna be into this and um i i was then reminded with what you just said um with emma because the only reason and i'm talking emma with the period uh with uh anya taylor joy the only reason i knew what was happening in that movie was because i've seen clueless like a thousand times and i remember like 20 minutes into emma that this was what clueless was based on emma and i started being able to like okay well so that character is the paul rudd character and that character is the share and that's deep and once i had that i was good still had no clue what the words were but knew the characters well enough and the plot from clueless that I was able to construct enough of a joy for that movie, despite she's being a virgin who can't drive a right. carriage. And, uh, yeah. And that she's constantly match playing with other people's relationships, but avoiding dealing with her own, like, you know, and then the tie connection, you know, she's forcing her to like the, the other guy when the person that's right for her is, is right there. And, you know, she's like, no, no, you don't want that guy. You want this guy. And how that like wrecks her happiness. Like, yeah, get all that. But I, it wasn't because of the movie. And that's no offense to the movie. That's just, I don't know those terms. And I think um, we talked, I think on Mike about, no, we talked off Mike last week about Cary Grant. And I was trying to get you to watch Philadelphia Story. And I brought up that some of my students instantly love Philadelphia Story. And others were just like, ugh. And it, part of it is the dialogue that it's fast and it's witty. But also there's a lot of terms that we don't know because it's like high society. It's it's phrases that like we're from Polk County. Like you, you don't we don't 
know any of this stuff. Not only are we from Polk County, but we're like a hundred years removed from this like high class world. So yeah, it, it does require some some context that maybe uh, is not provided organically in the movie. And I don't know if the movie has to, but it definitely I think would it would help if you're not if you don't know what they're talking about or like the the policies of like because i i get i'm under the impression she was married not for love but for like wealth like someone like it was not a quote-unquote arranged marriage but kind of an arranged marriage oh, I and thought she, it was well see there was a yeah i don't know see this goes to, i think you we were proving our point this movie was above our our intellect in many ways um not to make it sound stupid it's just like it's an area that neither of us have really studied or been interested in enough to learn all the little nuances where you know if this was a movie about filmmaking i got you you know i know all this stuff which is why i often love movies about journalism or movies about teachers because like i know the jargon of that world but i don't of this world and so it does there's a, a layer of disconnect that happens and that's why people are a lot of times apprehensive about older movies in the first place right like where like people here Casablanca is amazing but won't watch it because they they don't think they're going to find that connection but Casablanca is a great example of a romance that I feel does pull me in and I connect to immediately um even though I didn't know all of the details the first time I saw it I was I was still in the characters where this movie the layers of of disconnect kept me from feeling that connection to the characters I think so yeah and I just felt so conflicted about all of them anyway so yeah yeah, because we we did get the plot. Like that is important to note. All the things we didn't get were like the the the, the, the details, the window dressings, right? Yeah, it's the stuff that adds to the the world. But we were like, yeah, okay, but they're not together because divorce is frowned upon. Okay, like what? Like eventually it won't be. Like we know it won't be. Like people will get divorced all the time. It becomes and a have thing. divorce parties. Yeah. Yeah, and then get remarried to the people they divorce because oh, we made a mistake. Yeah, I, <laughs> That's always my favorite. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I get, I'm not judging anybody for doing that. It is whatever. It's just I think our society now is a little more flippant about marriage, right? Like some people yeah. hold it as as a sac- sacred thing, but there's a lot more fluidity with marriage in today's time. So this movie that is like this woman's honor will be, you know, her family will disown her essentially. And it's like, oof, that's, you know, but at the same time, aren't you already kind of being mistreated by everybody because of that? She gets an allowance. Yeah, I guess that's, oh God, it's so dark. (laughs) All right. Um, Let's, let's get into spoilers. Uh, Corey and I both, uh, we have no real true criticisms about the film. Uh, The story just didn't quite click for us. Um, and again, it's at no fault of the movies. It's, it's more or less our interest level and uh, maybe maybe a little bit of the characters. But again, I don't think it's be- like they're badly written. I just don't know that I like them. So it's a weird kind of place to be in where it's not like it's not the movie's fault. We're just incompatible, right? We're just not. Speaking of know? romance. Yeah. Speaking of romance. We, we just don't. Age of Innocence. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, swipe. I don't, I don't know. know. Which, <laughs> which, like which way do you swipe it? I don't know. Corey and I have been in relationships for a long time, so we've not needed such apps. Uh, no offense to those who do, but you know, like what you and Bill are nineteen well, years on Wednesday, wow. and Kathy and I are uh, going to be sixteen years in January. So it's been a long time. That app didn't exist the no. last time we were single. So like, it, it's not in our wheelhouse. So my space. Forgive- <laughs> 
forgive our ignorance yes um anyways let's get to spoilers guys from here on out we're going to talk about the age of innocence in great detail you have been warned and next i will try to make a football joke and fail that one miserably too so um no uh so the 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 divorce thing which isn't technically a spoiler but i did feel like going into too much detail but michelle pfeiffer's character is a countess uh she's now did she cheat on the husband or did the husband cheat on her okay so this is what i gathered that he would rather they say at one point that he would rather be in the company of prostitutes not the word they use than with his wife so it seemed like it was all him but there was talk of a secretary, right? Well, well, it, it's his male secretary who ends up coming to New York or wherever um, he meets. And he ends up talking to New Newland later. Yes. Yes. But that, so I had when that happened. Oh, that they were living together. Right. Well, does that mean they were like just like she was crashing there like this, on the couch? This is what is so hard for me because I couldn't live in another time. <laughs> like, oh, you know, like, I don't know. I, I there were just so many things and so many ridiculous expectations at all, you know, that like she doesn't have her own money. And, you know, to me, it did seem like they she had an arranged marriage because he says something to her that this is America. We don't believe in arranged marriages. And then right, she starts right. crying. So that's why I thought that she was in an arranged marriage. But um, yeah, th- just like all of the, like, I felt like, I mean, it still is kind of like this, but not to quite this degree that the women are frowned on, frowned upon so much more severely than the males, the men, even if they're doing the same thing, even if people suspect the same thing about each of them. So I've never done this. I don't think okay. I had to do this once on the podcast, but Uh-oh. I've I've pulled up the plot on Wikipedia for this movie <laughs> to see if I can clarify things that maybe like, so um, she has returned to New York after a disastrous marriage to a dissolute Polish count. So a guy who uh, basically a hedonistic dude, he loves sex and, and alcohol. Um, so that it's definitely him who was cheating on her. She never cheated on him, which is what I at first I thought she cheated on him. And then it became clear that, no, no, he was cheating on her. But cheating, it seems like a strong word. It was more like that's just he never expected to be faithful, like because he's like a count. He's like, no, no, I do whatever I want. You're just my wife. That's, you're, you know, nothing more. Um, and then like so that's why this this there's rumors spreading and then uh they try to shut that down and downplay it and her family backs her got that okay um so and then he he rushes the engagement to may or at least announcing it about it and that's when he starts to fall for her we get that like i get all this part of it um but she wants to divorce her husband and that's where the the real conflict comes in because archer is the divorce attorney and he's all for it at first but he's convinced by the family that she needs to talk her out of it because she will be in a bad way um i you know it's like i get it i get i understand where she's coming from um i understand where the family's coming from like this at the time it was a big big blight on on a person to get divorced 
I've never agreed with that. I've always thought that was wrong. Um, I, I actually think even now when it's less about the sanctity of marriage and just the cost of how much divorce is, it's kind of crazy what? that like that we live in a world where like you can get married relatively easily. It doesn't cost nearly as much to get married as it does to get divorced. And I, I, I guess to a degree, the logic is like, ah, but if we make it expensive, maybe they'll try to work it out. It's like, yeah, or they'll stay in a really shitty situation. Sorry for my language. And be miserable because they don't have the money to do it or they will stay quote unquote married but not be together which is not better for either of them either you know because now it can cause other problems um the point is it shouldn't be such a thing and so like this i think maybe that bugged me too because i do have like a, a strong opinion about marriage and again not from a religious perspective just be like you know people are like oh you can't make me wear a mask like yeah but you're okay with the divorce system where people have to pay thousands of dollars to like you know get quote unquote divorced it's like it's not like you're bound by something physical but yet this for this certificate to be null and void you must pay this amount of money you know go through chaos and courts and just oh it's such a nightmare like um what movie did i, I just watched the movie that really showcased like how brutal divorce can be um oh well marriage story marriage story great example um have you not you have not watched marriage story huh oh yeah i have okay like i mean that movie is a great example of like the 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 system and how flawed it is and unmarriage story well but you're i get where you're coming from with that statement but there's clearly as part of the intention of the naming device right like it's not the process of getting married is more like this is the just you know the disintegration of a marriage and it is still a marriage story, but, um, man, but so yeah, that bugged me a little. And, um, I did, I thought it was interesting when they were in Florida because you don't see a lot of like older movies set in Florida. Like it always seems like that's they're like, no, no, that's just swamps. Um, Gator sound there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, you know, um, I was a little shocked that we jumped to the past at the end. Or not the past. That's stupid. It's it's back to the future. They go back and he he unmarries her. No, um, they they we aged Archer up. That it doesn't just end after uh, she basically says like May says she's pregnant and then it jumps, and we get like this like kind of voiceover of like no you know they had a good life and he ended up you know he truly was a good husband and a good father and like he was able to get past his love of um. Michelle Pfeiffer's character, whose name I'm not thinking of right now. Ellen. Ellen. Um, and it's like, okay, that's, that's, I mean, I have no issues with it. It's just kind of, it's a, it's weird to jump that far ahead. What did you think about that? Um, I was fine with it. I guess that kind of what threw me off was the unknown narrator. Ooh, yes, me too, actually. I made a note of that, which is not uncommon in, like, Scorsese uses narrators a few times, um, but usually it's, it is like a character. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's all like such intimate. You know what I mean? It's they they know all of like they're godlike. They are very aware of everything. Yeah. Um, so I um, thought it was interesting that he just decides to get up and walk away. Um, you know, I guess that things are better left yeah as they were i don't think i don't really know i don't know i didn't feel like he really necessarily had love for her all of that was like seemed just 
like lust. I don't know. Oh, like it was. You don't know if it was true love. They, there's an implication that, that they were together before. That, yeah, that's what it seemed like that he would have married her if she was around and a few statements like that. So it did seem like there was some backstory there. But I don't know. It just seemed like a little obsessive. Um, he does. And that's what that's where the Woodcock because I think it's, his name is Woodcock in Phantom Thread, right? Oh, I think so. It's something like that. And um, to me, like this character, it seems so smitten and taken by that he can't like control himself where he's like lying to may and it seems that it seems so out of character to me that he'd be lying like he is um and putting and risking so much and like everyone's gossiping from the beginning so like he's he knows people are going to run their mouths so like he's taking such a big risk um and even, i don't think he good uh, yeah i was gonna say even like when he first goes to her home alone i know that the maid is there but i feel like that was probably very inappropriate at that time because i don't think that he had been hired as her um lawyer or anything and they had just he may have just announced their engagement and stuff like that and i don't know like i have a lot of respect for ellen in some like some instances like i love that she's not a woman of her time like she's she lives how she wants to to a degree you know well, I'm, I was looking for information on the narrator, um, and I ran into uh, Roger Ebert's review and immediately feel dumb for not loving this movie on a level because he, he's so – man, he, what a freaking critic this guy is. Um, obviously, again, hot take like me saying Scorsese is a good director, but uh, – <laughs> um, so he, first of all, apparently the narration is similar to the book's narration. It's like supposed to basically be the author oh. talking to us, which is not again that there's tons of books that have that. This is it's not usually adapted into the film, but it was here. But um, the he has Ebert quotes a line from the film. They all, they all lived in a kind of hieroglyphic world. The real thing was never said or done or even thought, mm -hmm. but only represented by a set of arbitrary signs. And that is the, the, the major theme of the film, right? Like they're doing what everyone thinks should be even though it's what people don't want right it's yeah constantly which it's kind of surprising to me that newland does do all of that because he does speak out against those things quite a few times or like the way that he reacts to people like he starts crying at some point when someone says something about ellen i think the company she's keeping i'm forgetting the man that she <sighs> keeps company with is it both both Oh, Bolfin? Bol I know exactly who you're talking about. I, I also forgot. Blow Blowfield? Blow that's the villain from James Bond. Um, <laughs> it's um, something like that. But uh, just to, while you maybe look that up. Um, Beaufort. So Ebert continues, and this is where I'm like, oh my God, it's so brilliant. Um, he says those words, the quote that I just read, those words could also describe the world of the mafia in Scorsese's films. Scorsese told me that in reading Wharton's novel, what is always stuck in my head is the brutality under the manners. People hide what they mean under the surface of language. And like when you think about that and then like Goodfellas, you know, where uh, 
I'm going to forget the guy's name, of course, because that's when I need it. But he's he's putting on airs, right? Like he's pretending to be something he's not to appease the the bosses or to keep the mob at bay or to you know he's like doing cocaine, but he's pretending he's not. He's do, he's selling things he's not supposed to be selling, um, and he's covering it all up. And then Casino is the same, like. I mean, the whole idea of Casino is that, like, Vegas is run by the mafia, and yet we put on the surface layer of, like, no, it's fine. It's, everything's, everything's fine. Um, and, I was and just then thinking he, about that the other day. And then even Irishman, uh, which you have not watched, but you should. Um, like, the guy, like, when we – so the name of the book that this hitman from the mafia – is called um i painted i painted houses i think um and that was that was a euphemism for splattering someone's brains on the wall when they killed them was painting the house so like again it's that hiding the the horridness behind this basic language i mean and obviously we do that all the time right we white lies and things of that nature but man that, see sometimes just recontextualizing a story can make it so much more impactful and that that's what ebert's so good like, like just you about movies you know it's it's why i like reading some uh especially ebert ebert and i don't always see eye to eye but man he just made me look at this film in a way i i never would have thought to look at it and i should have because scorsese one why you were so into raging bull is he's really good at capturing like reality right and this movie isn't based on a true story but he still ties in something from his the things he finds interesting about reality this this you know cover up of what we really want or what we really feel uh for the, the sake of niceness but yet those niceties are what's making their misery in this movie right like it's they find themselves in this kind of lock hell and even the ending he was happy he was content but it would he have been happier had he gone with what he wanted versus what everybody said was the right thing to do and while there's no real consequence he will always have that regret and that's maybe why he walks away is like he'd rather not know if he made the mistake or not right because like what do you how do you feel about it? if you love your wife who's now dead if you love your kids that you had with that wife and suddenly you feel regret for not being with this other woman how much guilt comes with that you know yeah Thank you, Roger Ebert from Beyond the Grave, giving me reviews to make me recontextualize the films that I was not sold on. And now I'm like, crap, it's it's probably a masterpiece. I need to rewatch it when I'm not in the bed. <laughs> yes, it's this week, man. <laughs> it, it, this was a tough week, listener. So uh, we, we pieced together a podcast. We got a full episode in. Um, we, you know, I was, uh, man, I actually... Every week, because I don't watch it right before. I usually watch it a couple days before. I'm always like, oh, no, oh, I hope I, with me. I, yeah, well, I always hope I can remember enough to talk about because I don't take notes. Like, that's where I am not the professional. I am not a note taker. I, I rely on my brain. And movies that I love, it's not an issue. Like, I can almost rec recite full scenes from movies if I love it. If it doesn't pull me in, I am aware of my lack of knowledge. Uh, again, this one proven by the fact that I had to pull up Wikipedia to make sure I was like, no, no, I'm right. But once we start talking, I'm usually fine. But going into this one, I was like, oh, boy. I don't know what I want to say about this movie other than I do like Daniel Day-Lewis. I think Daniel Day-Lewis is a great actor. Another hot take, listener. I am on fire <laughs> over here. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I love him so much in Phantom Thread. I love that movie so much. Uh, have you seen, like, There Will Be Blood? or? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, have you seen Lincoln? I'm a, I'm a big yeah. fan of Lincoln. I... I I get a lot of people don't love. I I am a sucker for Spielberg. He 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 works for me in almost every regard. Um, 
I don't think there's a Spielberg movie I don't enjoy at least a little bit. Uh, I I don't really like Crystal Skull, but I don't think of that as a Spielberg. Oh, and Lost World sucks. But there's at least a couple of scenes in Lost World that are good. But I, it's like you're like the same director made Jurassic Park and the Lost World. What? Um, this man, mm. gymnastic raptor kick. That's all I gotta say about Lost World. So, anywho, um, I, feel, I think we should wrap this up. Yeah, I yeah. I'm not, I'm not comfortable upping my rating. I'm gonna go decent watch still until I rewatch it and actually enjoy it. But if you want to listen to Roger Ebert, who is much more knowledgeable about film than I am, still, uh, he said it's a great movie, four stars, which is his highest rating. I'm currently on decent watch, but he made me rethink it. So maybe it's a little higher. I probably need to watch it again. Corey? I'm going to go with decent watch also. Because even before that was spoken, I totally agreed that it's me. You know, I can appreciate mm-hmm. when it's all me. <laughs> like, yeah. And I can recognize that too. And I think, listener, if you're if you often agree with us, then know going in that we didn't love this movie, but we also see the artistic integrity of it. We see, like, and again, th- there's clearly a deeper thing going on. But I do think the the we, as we said, the the setting and the time period just didn't mesh with our sensibilities, and we didn't quite, you know, buy in. Um, that happens sometimes. So it's okay. Not a criticism against the movie as much as against our own taste. I guess like if this movie is what taste is, and we have not the best of it at times, you know. Other times, I think we have pretty good taste. So, decent watch for both of us. Um, if you like us and you don't hate us after reviewing Age of Innocence, <laughs> then uh, you can follow us on social media. I'm at Burke Reviews on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Corey? At Corey, our star, two hours on the end. And sleepy time for both of us. Uh, we will be back next week with our review of that other Scorsese movie, Mean Streets, one I've been meaning to watch for a long time. Um, until then... Keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com.